TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dukey Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this Thursday night, the 7th of January. Happy New Year, Scoop Podcast faithful. I am your host, sometimes capable, Darren Doogie Wolfson. Like always, I'll empty out my figurative notebook, then we will get to conversations. Like always, in no particular order, the Twins were in on Japanese pitcher, last name Sagano. He is going back to Japan The Twins had interest. They certainly talked to his agent, but they did not, as far as I know, make a real competitive offer. Ken Rosenthal volunteered that he was looking for somewhere in the vicinity of four years, $56 million. No sense that the Twins were willing to do that, but certainly the Twins did their due diligence on Sagano. I will say one of many tentacles that that will inevitably develop from his decision to head back to Japan is teams that chased Sagano like the Blue Jays, like the Red Sox, yes, like the Twins, others, the Padres, who will they now pivot to? Like the Red Sox have interest in Jake Odorizzi. The Blue Jays have interest in Jake Odorizzi. Yes, the Twins would like to bring back Jake Odorizzi, but to this point, the Twins have not been the most aggressive. So does does Boston, does Toronto, Toronto specifically, do they now pivot the money that they were allotting to hopefully sign Sagano? Does that money now shift to somebody like Jake Odorizzi, something to keep an eye on. The Twins remain interested in bringing back Nelson Cruz, but they have not been the most aggressive. Now, like, the Padres have interest, but if the National League doesn't adopt the DH, clearly Nelly Cruz is not signing with the Padres. So there's still so much up in the air. I can't see a path where Cruz eventually ends up back here, but there is work to do. And if all things are equal, yes, he'll be back here. But if he gets a monetary offer that trumps what the Twins are willing to do, I'm telling you, Nelly Cruz will sign elsewhere. So the Twins will eventually at least have to somewhat step up to the plate. I saw that reliever Ryan Stanek is off to the Houston Astros. The Twins certainly had some interest in him. The Twins did make Joaquin Soria an offer. My sense is it was before they signed Robles, the former Angels closer. Now they signed Robles one year, $2 million. He's got five hundred grand in incentives that don't seem super reachable so it looks like he'll earn two million dollars they offered Soria more than that on a one-year deal but not significantly more so it wasn't to the point of of Joaquin Soria saying yeah let me take your offer but I get the sense that the twins like a lot of teams right now are kicking a lot of tires on middle tier free agents seeing if they can steal a guy or two on a team friendly deal now maybe the market you know, improves in in the coming weeks. There are still like legitimately well over 150 really good players available. Now, not all 150 will sign major league deals. Some will sign minor league contracts, but there are legitimately, in fact, hundreds of players unemployed at this moment as the calendar has flipped now to 2021. Although I don't get the sense that spring trainings will start on time. Like I don't think pitchers and catchers are reporting to Fort Myers for the Twins in like five weeks, but how far back will things get pushed? And like you think about all the top tier free agents, George Springer, DJ LeMayhew, Trevor Bauer, when will some of these guys start to come off the board? It is incredibly fascinating, but also somewhat troubling. Like I've been in contact with a number of agents who just, they want to pull their hair out. It's just, it's a crazy time 
in Major League Baseball. But the Twins, I'm telling you, continue to scour the market. They are very open-minded to adding free agents, especially on team-friendly deals. They're looking for another reliever. They're looking for a starter. They're potentially looking for a middle infielder, a utility guy, somebody that can come off the bench. They are talking trades with teams. Like the Twins are open-minded to all sorts of, of different possibilities, but like until we get to the point of them making hardcore offers, I just don't know how big of a deal it is. Like the Twins have kicked the tires on former White Sox closer Alex Colome, but the Twins have not made him an offer. The Twins have have talked to the agent for for Jose Quintana, but it's not like the Twins are are making an offer for Quintana. I don't see Quintana ending up here. It's it's not close to the point of the Twins even even having, you know, even even some level of interest in in extending an offer. So Kicking the tires, inquiring about guys. I mean, that's literally the job of the Twins front office. So, of course, they are talking to teams, talking to agents. But until it gets to the offer stage, like the Twins made Charlie Morton an offer. They made John Brebbia an offer. Clearly, they made Hansel Robles an offer. They talked parameters of a deal on Joaquin Soria. I'm sure there's other guys they've talked parameters of a deal with. But until you really extend a legit offer, like Trevor May was on this podcast a few weeks ago, the Twins never made him an offer. So they talked to his agent. The Twins had interest in bringing Trevor May back, but they never made him an offer. So to me, there's a big difference between kicking the tires, inquiring about a player, and then making an offer. But I do think it's when, not if. The Twins are going to add to their roster, so stay tuned. On the NBA front, I see that Taj Gibson, really good guy, is back in the NBA. He is back with the Knicks. He is back with Tom Thibodeau. How about Tibbs winning with that depleted New York Knicks roster? You look at that Knicks roster, you look at the Wolves roster, small sample size, I get it. I mean, it's still very, very early. Heck, the Wolves last season started 10-8, and right? Then they had... Multiple double-digit losing streaks, so it can change fast. I think about D'Angelo Russell a couple years ago with the Nets, right? 8-18. and They eventually end up as the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference with him as the alpha, although we'll get to whether D'Angelo Russell is still an alpha when Brian Windhorst joins this conversation, this podcast, shortly. But the point is that, that you look at Tibbs and you're like, the man can coach. Maybe he should never have had you know GM powers here, but – the man can can coach. He can he can find a way to win with whatever roster you present him. But yeah, the Knicks are are winning. They now bring back Taj Gibson. But my understanding is the Wolves, who need a power forward, they have an open roster spot. But my sense is that the Wolves were not interested in bringing back Taj Gibson. I just got off a Zoom call with former Gophers cornerback Ben St. Juiced. He said it was an easy decision for him to turn pro. He's older. He's in his mid-20s. He has his master's degree. He got his undergraduate degree from Michigan in two and a half years, transferred here, played a lot in 2019, a lot this past year, 2020. It was time for him to to move on to the pros, but he understands, you know, his buddy Coney Durr coming back for 2021, Seth Green, Connor Olson, Sam Schluter. They get the free year. He understands, you know, it's case by case. Each individual has to look at their own situation, but for him – he said it was it was a relatively easy decision. He signed with Priority Sports. That's the agency that represents Kirk Cousins. He is now training in Atlanta. He'll soon shift his training to L.A. But Ben St. Juiced, former gopher, good dude. I'll bring him to you on a future podcast. It won't be this podcast, but maybe next week. On the Vikings, so on Gary Kubiak, there is hope that Gary will still be involved in some sort of capacity 
in 2021. You know, maybe as some sort of senior advisor. Yeah, he won't be the play caller, but there is hope that Gary will still have his fingerprints somewhat on what takes place on the offensive side. My understanding on Gary is this, that that virtually teaching really got to him. That just, you know, no OTAs, no mini camp, training camp starting late, you know, Mondays not being at the facility with the players. It just, a lot of that got to him, that, that he really likes to teach in person, that virtually teaching just wasn't his cup of tea. And at this point, we just don't know what the 2021 NFL season will look like. Will there be OTAs? Will there be a mini camp? I mean, we just, we don't know. There's so much up in the air. He's got a beautiful ranch in the Houston area. He can head down there, enjoy life. But but I know he really did enjoy calling plays for the Vikings in 2020. So I would not be shocked if he's still involved in some form or fashion, especially if his son Clint remains, whether it's as quarterback's coach or if Clint is promoted to play caller. I've been asked if former Lions special teams coordinator Braden Coombs is on Mike Zimmer's radar. Yeah, Mike has has a history with Braden, young guy, you know, but but he's a he's an up and comer. Daryl Bevel fired him because he ran a, a fake punt, didn't run it up the flagpole, just ran it. When was that? Like week 14, week 15, whenever it was, late in the season. So he didn't tell the head coach what he was doing. But as a teacher, you know, knowing what he he needs to do to, to get his players to perform well on special teams. Braden is is pretty highly thought of. So he is going to land with with some team. Clearly the Vikings need a special teams coordinator. So connecting some logical dots, do I think the Vikings have interest in Coombs? I do. I don't have anything definitive to tell you that that it's on the cusp of happening or anything like that. But I do think his name has come up in Egan. Vikings assistant GM George Payton interviewed for the Lions GM job on Wednesday. He'll soon interview for the Broncos job. I do think this time it's as real as ever that he's turned down opportunities in the past, but I would not be shocked if George ends up with one of these jobs. That's where PJ Flex name came up. So NFL Network had the report like a week ago that one NFL team has interest in in interviewing PJ Fleck. I can tell you, uh, my sense is it's it's the Lions George Payton and P.J. Fleck share an agent. You have Chris Spielman now involved. Chris and Rick Spielman, brothers, they talk all the time. I'm just telling you, if you do kind of the, the circle of life, you know, start connecting all these logical dots, I do think that's the team. Now, do I think P.J. Fleck is is leaving for an NFL job? I, I don't. I see P.J. Fleck as the Gophers head coach in 2021. All right, nothing else too pressing. If If I have something that's pressing, check my Twitter. D Wolfson KSTP or always watch channel five KSTP in the Twin Cities. If you live out of our viewing area, we put a lot of what we do on KSTP.com. We put a ton of stuff on the sports page. KSTP.com backslash sports. All right, let's now get to some conversations. I talked with Vikings defensive tackle Michael Pierce earlier this week. He opted out for health reasons of the 2020 season. So it had been a while. The last time we talked to Michael was like late July when he made that decision. But it was great to catch up with Michael the other day. Here's my conversation this week with Vikings defensive tackle. He was he was their big free agent signee last offseason. There is hope that he will finally play for the Vikings here in 2021. My conversation with Michael Pierce. Michael, let's just start with just how – how are you doing? I mean, the last time we chatted, it would have been late July when you made the decision, like, 
what was it, 66 other players in total. It was about 67 players who decided to opt out. You decided to opt out because you are at higher risk. I mean, it's still present tense. Last time I checked, coronavirus is still around. So right. you are at higher risk to, to get coronavirus. So you made the tough decision to opt out. But just over the last, you know, five, six months since the last time we chatted, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, I, up to this date, I uh, got tested about two weeks ago. Um, no, uh, no antibodies, no nothing. So uh, I've been doing well. Uh, going to the gym every day, um, picking up some new hobbies, and uh, just trying to get myself ready for the OTAs. Obviously, with this uh, vaccine that's coming out, that's very encouraging. Uh, I actually spoke to Coach Dre Patterson yesterday, um, just trying to map out a plan to make sure I'm ready, uh, make sure I don't have any or minimal rest, as, as minimal rest as possible for OTAs. So uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm encouraged. Um, just trying to get my body ready and get myself ready for OTAs. On your body, just where, where are things at? Speaking of Coach Patterson, he had told us in early August, he relayed that he told you, Mike, that, that make sure you have a really good nutritionist right. and make sure you have a really good trainer. Right. Uh, I do have both. So I'm on meal prep. Uh, I have a chef who cooks my meals six days a week. Uh, done an amazing job for me. So I think I ended the year um, with Baltimore around the 355, um, 349 today. So um, that's a lot lighter than most people that walk around the offseason who haven't done anything. So I'm um, doing well. I feel I feel well. Uh, picked up CrossFit as just trying to get my conditioning up. And obviously you can't do that stuff in prep for OTAs, but uh, that's been something fun for me. That's something new, something challenging. And it's been, it's been doing my body well, man. So uh, been trying to take care of my body as best as possible. Uh, got the nutritionist down. Got the got the diet down. So, uh, you know, with a lot of with a lot of free time, you get to hone in and you get to know your body. You get to you know spend a lot more time with those kind of people who this is what they do for a living. So I've just been trying to learn, man. Trying to tweak everything to make sure that this upcoming season is the best one I've ever had. CrossFit is is fantastic. I mean. Was there now there there's some some lifting involved with CrossFit, right. but but was there maybe more of an emphasis put on on cardio compared to, exactly. to lifting weights? Exactly. Yeah. So before before me joining this, I had never done a ton of burpees. Those, if you if you've ever done them, will kill you. Uh especially a guy my size. But um I got introduced to a rower machine, which I've seen before, but never used constantly, uh a ski erg machine which we use a lot. Um, it's a little bit cold down here, so we haven't been running as much. We do a lot of jump rope, burpees, all those different kind of machines, wind bikes, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's been different. I haven't, I, I can't do the muscle ups, obviously. Once you're over 300 pounds, it's probably not a good thing for you to do anyway. But um, no, I'm, I'm learning the, the movements, the techniques and all that stuff. But for me, it was just trying to keep myself engaged throughout the whole season, throughout the whole year until I start back football training in February. So um, it's been doing me good, man. I, I feel like my cardiovascular uh, endurance has improved a ton. So I think that'll that'll help me a lot for the upcoming season as well. So, Mike, what will the next handful of months look like? I mean, just in those conversations with Coach Patterson, is there a sense that that OTAs in person will actually happen? Like, there's so much up in the air. I mean, I wonder if if what took place in 2020 ends up taking place in 2021, where where maybe there aren't OTAs in person. Maybe there's not a June mini camp in person. Right. That maybe the first time you hit the field in Egan is is like late July, early August. I mean, just what I don't know. Just take me through what what you think the next handful of months will look like. 
Uh, I'm not sure, but for me, at least, you know, on the outside looking in, I haven't sat in on any team meetings or anything this year. But um, from the outside looking in, it's encouraging that they finish the season and they're going into the playoffs. So um, whether there's OTAs or not, uh, there needs to be a plan for both. So for me, if I can get up there, if I can get the vaccine and all that stuff and get everything rolling in April, that's amazing. That's ideal for me, especially knowing that I haven't played in about a year. So, um, yeah, no, that's ideal. But, um, you know, obviously he couldn't speak on, you know, whether they'll have it or not. That's all league issue kind of stuff. So um, either way, he just told me he's going to stay in contact with me like he stays in contact with the players uh, who will be on the team next year. And we'll just make a plan from there. But as far as everything goes, I'm making sure that where April hits, I'll be ready to go. If it's in person or if it's not, we'll just do the meetings how we did this year. But hopefully we can get in the building and I want to knock this rust off as early as possible, man. So you're all in on the vaccine. I mean, figure that, that you'll wait your turn in line. You're not going to jump yeah. anybody. But but when you can get the vaccine, you're all in on getting the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down here in Alabama. Uh, talk to my parents about it. And uh, I think my whole family is going to do it. So, uh, you know, whenever it becomes available, hopefully before April, if not, I'll, we'll figure that out down the road. But um, as of right now, we're just kind of waiting to see how, how it's going to be distributed and all that stuff. So as far as today, I'm, I'm negative, thankfully. And uh, I just got to kind of wait my turn. And I mean, do you need to have the vaccine to have that full confidence to come up here to Minnesota to, to participate in, in whatever the off season might look like or, or the season? I mean, is, is the vaccine like absolutely you need that to, to do anything? I mean, I would like to have it. That would be, you know, perfect in a, in a you know, in a euphoric sense. But um, no, I mean, I guess I obviously I opted out. So you got to stay as safe as possible. But that's something that I have to talk to with the team doctors and Mr. Sugarman and all those guys. But I, I would like to get the vaccine as, you know, as early as possible. But, um, you know, if it goes down into July, we'll hopefully try to figure something out. But um, yeah, hopefully I can get it, get at least one batch in around in or however that goes, uh, before April. And then we can try to figure out a plan from there. When is the last fall? I mean, maybe it was when you were in elementary school or junior high, but when, when was the last fall that you didn't play football? I can't remember to be honest. Uh, I've been playing football since I was four. So, um, I guess since then that would be 24 years ago. So it's been a very, very long time for me, man. Um, I, I, I've had all the emotions, as you can imagine, anxious, nervous, you know, upset, a little depressed. But, you know, probably around week eight, I started to come out of it. Um, obviously, that was a halfway point in the season. But um, and I, I missed the game. Um, I've gotten to know those guys through the football, through the TV, obviously. But I can't wait to meet everyone and, you know, get to work. So. I mean, that was what I was alluding to. I mean, physically, it sounds like you're doing great. I'm just wondering about the mental side. I mean, you mentioned even even being depressed at, at one point, you know, thankfully coming out of it, you know, week eight or so. But like just mentally, you're you're right now you're you're in a decent spot. Yeah. Yeah, man. No, I've like Coach Dre has been been great about reaching out. Uh, Coach Marje Alberry as well. But um, no, man, especially like I said, I haven't been without playing the game since I'm since 24 years ago so um you know obviously opening day is the big day and that's when it hits you really obviously you go through camp and stuff but to see that first game and just knowing that 
this is what I chose to do in my life and I chose to opt out obviously and don't have the opportunity to do it. it hits you really hard. So, um, you know, you kind of got to get through it just like anything else in life. Injuries happen. People tear the ACLs. They kind of go through that kind of stuff. Um, obviously, it's a different circumstance. But, I, I, yeah, I, I felt like every emotion going through all this stuff. But uh, thankfully, I have great family and friends who, you know, continue to uplift me and, and, and stay with me and keep me on track. So that's, that's, the, that's the best thing about it. Were Sundays especially tough? Like, I think about even, well, forget Sunday. It was a Friday, right? Christmas Day. Like right. you're probably sitting there watching Viking Saints, watching Alvin Kamara run left, yeah. run right, run up the middle. Like I right. think about the the Bears game. I mean, heck, if, if the Vikings had just beaten the Bears a couple weeks ago, they would have made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight eight. The Vikings would be in the playoffs, not the Chicago Bears, but David Montgomery runs up and down the field. Like how hard was it to watch so many running backs just dominate the Vikings? Yeah, it, it was tough, man, and especially because I don't, you know, necessarily know these guys. But, you know, you still feel every emotion like you're – obviously fans feel the emotions, but obviously I felt like some sort of responsibility uh, just to be out there. Uh, anytime anybody runs for like six touchdowns, five is – might be six, right? Um, and I pride myself on being a run stopper and, and, you know, being an accountable player on a team, you feel terrible. So – uh, I shared a couple of texts with my agent and, you know, um, it's just a motivating factor to know that, you know, obviously I feel like I owe not only, you know, my teammates, but the organization and fans a lot when I get on the field next year. I mean, not only you, Michael, but I think about, you know, Anthony Barr coming back from injury, Eric Kendricks right. coming back from injury, Daniil Hunter right. coming back from injury. I mean, Mike Zimmer has a history of, of having really good defenses. Like what we saw in 2020, was was a mirage that that is not a trend so there is right. a belief for many of us here that with you and and all the other guys that that the defense can be pretty darn good in 2021 most definitely and that's the encouraging thing and that's what i talked to coach dre about yesterday um the, the young guys got a lot of a lot of reps that they probably wouldn't necessarily get had they had all the veterans in there but that only does uh wonders for them is you know with reps you get more familiar you play better you play faster so um you got to kind of, well, for me, at least I got to kind of look at it on the bright side. Like my teammates will have more reps. They'll be more comfortable. Um, DJ Wanham had an amazing year. Um, James is going to do well too. So uh, we got our young corners, a lot of reps this year. So Jeff and, and Cam. So uh, now, nah, man, everybody's encouraged. Um, obviously this didn't, this didn't uh, go the way we all planned, but uh, yeah, with everybody back healthy, and, and together, hopefully we can get an OTA so I can get a feel for those guys and get the chemistry going. It, it'll be a lot different next year. But uh, first and foremost, we're going to pray for those guys to get healthy first, and we'll roll from there. I found a positive, I think, of the last few months for you. Did I see that you did a turkey drive that, that maybe under normal circumstances, maybe it would have been tough to do just during the season. Maybe you would have done it up here in Minnesota, but, but I saw mm -hmm. you tweeting about that. I mean, was that maybe one positive and just being around your family, you know, the months of, of September, October, November, December, when normally you wouldn't be? Right. Yeah, no, the increased family time for me has been great. Um, obviously, yeah, I, I do a turkey drive every year. It's my third this year. Um, it's normally in the city I play in. But this time, me being closer to home, I got to do it in my hometown. That was great. But uh, like I said, I, I want to show love wherever I am. And 
I contributed to some stuff back in Baltimore throughout the holidays. I wasn't there in person, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's been great to be around my family uh, just to see, you know, the people who I grew up with and, you know, those, those families that I know personally uh, get to get a little love throughout the holidays. So that was awesome. But nah, man, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to getting some stuff done in Minnesota, uh, partnering with some of the teammates and, and some of, uh, you know, our organization stuff. So. On Baltimore, do you like their chances this weekend? Um, yeah, yeah. I think they'll I think they'll do a lot better than we did last year in the playoffs. Uh I think they played them twice since then. So yeah, it'll be their third matchup. So I think they they'll do well. Um as long as they can control Derrick Henry, very, very much so easier said than done. Uh just ran for two thousand yards. But um I think they I think they'll do well. Um it just comes down to if Lamar can stay in stride. Um, and if they can control Derrick Henry, I, I think they'll have a good, good shot. What else stood out as, as you were watching Vikings games? I mean, it just hit me as, as you're talking about trying to stop Derrick Henry. I suppose mm-hmm. you're probably grateful that, that in the coming years, you don't have to try and stop Dalvin Cook. Oh, man, for sure. Um, how many games did he miss? Two or three? Um, he missed well. He missed some of the Seattle game. He missed the Atlanta game. It was then, like four-ish, right? Yeah. He well, he lost his dad unfortunately at, right, at far too right. young an age, and so he missed week seventeen. So he missed what about two and a half games? Right. Okay. So I think he ended up with like fifteen hundred. So I'm I'm thinking the way he runs, he could that could go from eighteen to nineteen. So he he'd be right up there with Derrick Henry. No, the dude is amazing. Um, being at home and seeing that the way he runs and just the overall effect he has on that offense, that dude is the engine for sure. He, he's, he's a, he's an amazing player. And uh, obviously he got that extension well-deserved. And uh, now I look forward to meeting him, playing with him. Um, no, nah, that dude is, is amazing. And it, it's been kind of weird just to sit and be a fan, but just to see how Justin Jefferson came in and made those amazing plays week in and week out and just so consistent, Adam Thielen. I mean, I, I, Obviously, I was in the league, so I couldn't really literally pay attention to what the Vikings had going on. But when we have a we have a great roster and uh, I'm super excited, uh, just familiarizing myself with those guys, Harrison Smith, Anthony, Anthony Harris, man. It's uh, yeah, no, I enjoy watching the games and just the way those guys fought after we started out uh, in, the, in the basement um, speaks volumes about the, the kind of character guys they have on that team. Harris is a free agent, so I don't know if, if he'll be back, but. But there's a lot of guys that, that are back. What, what, Michael, and I'll leave you after a couple more. What, what's a normal day look like? Like, we're sitting here talking at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. You seem wide awake. Like, I haven't sure. even had my first cup of coffee. I'm still trying to wake up here. Right. You're wide awake. Like, what's, what's a normal day look like for you? Uh, well, I just got a puppy about three or four weeks ago. So he wakes up at 6, so I wake up at 6 and let him out and do all this stuff. But, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a morning person. I'm if he wasn't here, I'd probably wake up like 6.30, 6.45. But, um, yeah, I try to get breakfast in around 8.39. Got to work out at like 10.45. So I stay there for like an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes. Come home, shower up, deal with the pup. And then um, kind of go from there, depending on what I have to do, like with my businesses and stuff like that. But um, I try to get some kind of like long walk or some kind of jog in at night just to keep myself moving and, you know, prevent boredom, if anything else. So the pup has been good with that. So he's been running and learning and doing all that stuff with me in the afternoon. So it's been good, man. Uh, I found a little routine. I'm still trying to figure out this piano thing. It's a little harder than I anticipated, obviously. Um, but 
with COVID and everything, it's kind of hard to learn via, you know, Skype or anything. So I'll hold off on that. But now I found some good hobbies and I found some things to keep me, uh, keep me going. But yeah, man, I get it started early in the morning, just like I had a job. And I think that's what keeps me, you know, in a good routine and in a good space, just keep everything rolling. So you got the pop, you're learning to play the piano. Did I also see that, that you've become a fan of, of the bachelor and the bachelorette? Yeah. So uh, my lady friend who I, who I hang out with a little bit, uh, she doesn't live in my city. So we kind of find shows to watch, you know, uh, when we can't see each other, obviously COVID is a, is real. So it's a lot less than I'd like, but, uh, no, I got into the bachelorette because of her and, uh, it was it was it was interesting. The young lady Tasia picked the person, and they had brackets for this stuff. So like men do NCAA and all this stuff. I, I'm obviously learning now that this is what women do. They make brackets. They do all that, and it's kind of cool to see, you know, because as a dude for 27, 28 years of my life, I had no idea this stuff was going on. So um, yeah, I've been in, I've been in tune with some things that I probably obviously if I'm in football season, I'm not watching that. When I need, when I come home, I, I would like relief that doesn't have to do with that basketball, anything else but that. But no, it's been awesome, man. I got to do some stuff like that and uh, learn, you know, a lot about just what other people like to do. And then on the puppy, I mean, does the puppy help with with your mental well being? Like, I think about <laughs> having a, a big pup. Like, you know, right. like if if I'm pissed off or down about something, you know, you just you cuddle up with them, and all of a sudden you got a smile on your face. Princeton is, is rambunctious. He's a standard poodle. Uh, he's 10 going on 11 weeks. So he's more of into destroying things right now. So it's, it's more of, it's a little bit of a headache, honestly, uh, to keep him from chewing on my couch legs and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I imagine once he goes off to training to get, you know, the basic training stuff down for two weeks, he'll come back a reformed pup and we can have more fun than preventative stuff. So uh, the first three weeks have been cool. He's uh like I said, he's he's still in his his chewing stage and tearing everything up, but it, it's been good, man. It's been very good for me. And Princeton, I mean, after after the university or some other tie with the name there? Uh no, I just looked up dog names and that just sounded like a cool, like the stately kind of name. So Princeton Pierce is his name, and uh he's looking forward to coming to Minnesota too. I want to see what he does in that snow. That's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. I love it. I can even show you some of the snow right now, right out my window, if you can see it. Oh, goodness. That's a couple inches. Oh, yeah. No, it snowed a good amount. Uh, when was it? Like Christmas Eve and then into that weekend. So okay. yeah, we have a decent amount of snow for, for a good portion of like November into December. There wasn't much snow. But but yeah, in fact, my my nine year old ended up breaking his arm going down the sled hill. The oh, sled hill. So, yeah. Okay. So that's okay. one of the fun winter activities if you can do it safely. Unfortunately, okay. he landed awkwardly on on his on his non-shooting arm. He plays basketball, so I guess that's a win that it was okay. his left arm, not his right arm. But yeah, but yeah, that's that's one of many things to do outside in the snow in the winter. So yeah, I'm sure you and Princeton will love it. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Mike, good to see you. I'm glad you're in a good state. All the best to you here in 2021, and and hopefully we do see you up here at, at some sort of you know semblance of an OTA in in April. Most definitely, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Good. good to see you, Mike. Vikings defensive tackle Michael Pierce. The update on Droogie. We will go back to the doctor on the 22nd. Maybe the cast comes off. Maybe he gets a brace, but maybe the cast has to stay on. 
It stinks. He just he can't play basketball. So sports finally resume. Winter sports like I was just at Eden Prairie Hockey today. I was at Minnehaha Academy basketball practice on Monday. It's good to finally get back out and about, see some people I haven't seen in a while. Bond face-to-face, even if, if we're six feet apart with masks on. It's just good to see some people I haven't seen in a while. But, yeah, unfortunately for Drew, Drewgi, my, my older son, Basketball ramps up tournament-wise the weekend of of the 23rd, but unfortunately he won't be playing anytime particularly soon, but maybe in February. Then baseball workouts ramp up mid-February, so I'm hoping baseball is his main sport. I'm hoping by mid-February he can get back to rocking and rolling being a normal nine-year-old. All right, let me now transition to my conversation from earlier today with ESPN NBA analyst, NBA insider, Brian Windhorst. Brian, Happy New Year. Always good to catch up. I know that that some people listening to this certainly were able to read your your ESPN Insider article, ESPN.com, from earlier in the week about about the Wolves' ownership situation. But but some don't have access to it. How about how about you summarize what exactly you wrote? Yeah, you know, um, I, I I just wanted to give an update on on where the Wolves' ownership situation is, and um, this has been a, <laughs> you know, it's been a, a bit of a frustrating story from a reporter standpoint because I I've been checking in on this uh, for months, and it doesn't seem to be moving. Obviously, things are definitely happening out there in that in the financial world, but you know, it's it's the team's now been on sale for six months. And, um, and it's not closed. And uh, he, he's Glenn Taylor has had interest from a handful of people. um, And the guy that he's had the most talks with uh, this guy, who's a former uh, minority owner of the Memphis Grizzlies, Daniel Strauss and his group, he's a New Jersey based guy. Um, They've gotten the ball to the, you know, maybe there would be a a disagreement from where on the football analogy, whether they got the ball to the five yard line or the one yard line or the 20, I don't know, but they got so far as a term sheet. And, um, and uh, what I reported was that uh, after it became known that uh, there was likely not going to be fans in the arena all year and the losses um, were going to be pretty uh, significant. Um, that uh, Strauss revised his offer. And I don't know why uh, Mr. Taylor is not going forward with it or if he's still looking for other bidders or if he thinks he can get a better price or whatever. But I do think revising that offer, from what I understand, um, slowed any momentum. Uh, I heard that the revised offer was $50 million less, um, accounting for what could possibly be a $50 million loss in uh, 2020. 2020, 2021 uh, season. Um, and, you know, just putting it uh, bluntly, Darren, uh, the, the pricing on the, on the wolves has not been strong. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, there is some debt with the franchise, which most franchises are carrying debt. Although a franchise that was purchased in 1988, you know, he paid the franchise off long ago. Um, but the debt I think is largely tied to the renovation that the, uh, you know, the, the Wolves paid for part of the renovation of the arena. And um, so there's some debt, but the, the price point is in the neighborhood of, you know, 1.3, 1.4 billion plus the debt. And considering that the Utah Jazz 
um, just sold for about uh, 1.7 million, about 1.66 billion, I should say. Um, and you know, Minneapolis is a much larger market than Salt Lake City. It's not a robust price for a team. And um, at the end of the day, if you're a if you're a fan of the Timberwolves, what do you care what the team sells for? Right. What does it matter? Whether it's a one point four billion dollar team or a one point eight billion dollar team. But, you know, in in being fair, it's sort of an an assessment that, you know, the Wolves as an organization um, are not highly desired. Uh, And it's argue you could argue that they're one of the most least valuable and desired teams in the league. And that's because they've missed the playoffs 15 out of 16 years. I don't think there's a lot of excitement about this particular team. You know, you're not looking at a team that you're buying that you think can compete for a championship in the next couple of years. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, just being blunt, well, you know, I've toured the renovation of the target center and um, it is very nice, especially the premium seating areas. But if I could just be a hundred percent blunt here and I don't think, you know, if you're looking at it fairly, people would disagree with me. You know, the Target Center was built on the cheap in the 80s. And even though it was just renovated, it still ranks in the bottom probably five or six arenas in the league. And so mm-hmm. the challenge is if you are coming into ownership of the team and you say, well, how can I uh, improve my situation? you can't really improve your situation with the arena because the arena is not going to be replaced or renovated anytime soon. So you come in and the arena is already kind of borderline non-competitive. Even with the renovation, it's borderline non-competitive, especially considering there's a competing arena across the river. And so that just presses the value down. And quite frankly, there just hasn't been a lot of bids. I think if you're a Minneapolis, uh, if you're you're a, a, a Timberwolves fan, what I can say is that, you know, I've talked to ownership groups, um, prospective ownership groups who want to move this team out of town. And um, they called and contacted Glenn and Glenn turned them down flat. Thank you for the call. I appreciate your interest. Um, I'm not interested in moving this team. We're not going to do a sale to anybody who might move this team. And um, that is, I think, what's probably most important. And uh, that's costing Glenn Taylor probably hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's going to keep the team in Minneapolis in all likelihood. And the reason that's important is because the, um, the exit fee from the lease that the wolves have is not uh, prohibitive. It's $50 mm-hmm. million. Dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, when you consider that if you moved the, the Timberwolves to, and I'm, let me just say, when it comes to franchise relocation, I'm from Cleveland. When I was 17 years old, the uh, the Cleveland Browns uh, left. Mm-hmm. So when I speak on franchise relocation, on a personal level, I am not for it. Uh, on a as speaking as a reporter and just being frank, if you took the Timberwolves and moved them to Seattle, they would likely be worth in excess of two billion dollars. And so the concept of you having to pay for $50 million exit fee to get out of the lease is not an issue. No, so, it's not an issue yeah. at all. And, and I'll tell you what, Brian, I mean, Minnesota sports fans remember way back when the NHL team, the Minnesota North stars moving to Dallas, then it was a handful of years later, the Dallas stars win a Stanley cup. I mean, that still hits home for, 
for a lot of Minnesota sports fans. So trust me, they know all about relocation. Baltimore Ravens uh, won a title, I think, uh, six years after they left Cleveland. Yeah, Brian Billick, the former Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator. Year two in Baltimore, ends up leading the Ravens to to a Super Bowl championship. But you're right. Like, my sense, Brian, is if if Glenn was open-minded, he could probably fetch, what do you think, about $2 billion if – if he was open-minded to selling to a group that wanted to move it, to, to Vegas or yeah. Seattle? Yeah, if, if if the team was available to be moved, it would be worth a lot more. But let, let me just say one thing. You know, Glenn has had the team on the market three times that we know about in the last seven years. Yeah, 2012, 2015, and now. Yep. Okay, I guess it's eight years. Yeah. Um, in 2012, when he had the team on the market, teams were selling in the three to $400 million range. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies had just sold like for 330 and there was another team sale in there for about 370. I can't remember who it was. Um, now, like I said, he's, he's, his team's value is in the one, three, one, four range after debt, maybe one, five, they'll call it one, five. He's, you know, quintuple. he's probably, he's, you know, maybe quadrupled or quintupled the value by hanging on to it. So, you know, he's made a lot of good decisions and he'll come out and he bought the team for 88 million. Um, in 94. So let's not have any tears uh, <laughs> if he sells it for that price and he's, he's deal done very well. Uh, but there's no doubt uh, he wants his legacy not to be, you know, I call it the anti Howard Schultz strategy. So Howard Schultz, who yeah. anybody has heard of, he is the founder of Starbucks uh, owned the Seattle supersonics for about five or six very unremarkable years and sold the team to um, uh, the ownership group that took him to Oklahoma City. And his name is now Mud in his hometown in Seattle. Um, uh, and is so Mud that he actually, you know, he's worth billions of dollars. Um, he briefly launched a presidential campaign for the 2020 election, like back in like 2000. 17 or 18 or something. And he couldn't get support basically on his own block in Seattle (laughs) uh, because he, his name is so mud there. And so any owners who are worried about legacy of which Glenn at age 79 certainly is. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't, they don't want to be Howard Schultz. And um, a comparable thing is, uh, you know, uh, Herb Cole who owned the Milwaukee Bucks for 25 mm-hmm. years, uh, Senator Herb Cole, known affectionately in the NBA as just the senator. If you say the senator, everybody knew who you're talking about. Um, when he sold the Milwaukee Bucks, um, shortly after the Wolves were pulled off the market, he sold them for $550 million, which all, already Glenn had to be feeling good about pulling his team off the market back then because it was already inflating. Um, and then the next sale after that was the Clippers for $2 billion, which changed the world. Yeah. Um, he had in his contract with the sales, uh, with the sale uh, the, to, to Mark Lazary and Wes Edens, um, that, that they couldn't move the team. And if they, if they wanted to move the team, they had to sell it back to the NBA. And it was a way to make sure Herb Cole wasn't branded as the guy who sold out to the people who moved. And it was a way to, for the guys who were coming in who wanted to get a new arena, uh, which they got um, not to be known as guys who wanted to move the team. They wanted to come in and sort of have a, a clean slate. So I would imagine that a sale 
that would be done based on everything that Glenn has said publicly and what I just told you about what he's said privately would include that sort of protection. He is not, you know, the wolves are not going to move. Um, but having said that, this sales price and the way things are going is kind of a referendum on where the wolves are as a franchise and it's not good. And it's actually not good for NBA business because the NBA doesn't like when team sales are recessionary. And like I said, Jazz 1.66, if the Wolves follow behind, and maybe they'll call it 1.5, Darren. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually going to be less than that if 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 the price is where the recent negotiations have been. It's it's not the greatest sign for the health of the league and, and you know the health of the Wolves franchise. Make a prediction, Brian. This calendar year, so we have, what, 11 months to go. If you had to bet, do you think a transaction will be complete, whether it's whether it's which Strauss, you use the football analogy, whether they got to the five-yard line, one-yard line. I mean, Strauss came here to the Twin Cities. So I think yeah. he came here with the intention of, of wrapping up a deal. I don't think he flies into town during right. the pandemic otherwise. But, <clears throat> but whether it's Strauss or somebody else, Brian, do you think Glenn eventually does agree to some sort of transaction here this calendar year? I do because the previous times he was looking to sell – he was looking to sell like 30% of the team with an understanding that that owner would then buy out the rest from him in a period of years. It was sort of a transitionary sale. And those sales are tough to pull off because if I'm going to, you know, back then, even when the teams were selling for four or 500 million, if I'm going to give you a hundred to $200 million, and then I have to ride side saddle with you for the next four years, uh, (laughs) you know, I'd like to have my team. So, you know, part of the reason why I think he didn't, sell back then and couldn't get what he wanted was just because of the nature of that. But from what I understand, he now is looking to actually sell the controlling interest. I don't know if he and his family would retain a piece or whatever, or maybe not. Um, but uh, that change leads me to believe that he does, he does intend to let it go. Although I would say it's not a good time to sell an NBA team right now. Um, uh, with the pandemic with uh, sagging TV ratings were, were years away from the next TV deal that could boost values. Um, you know, you could make the argument that um, you could make the argument that it's not a good time to sell and he could change his mind on that, but they still are for sale. And um, you know, Strauss and here, from what I understand are still in, in talks and Strauss still wants the team. He just wants the team at his price. And, you know, when, you know, for somebody in our position, you know, this, we're always on an information lag. Um, you know, for all I know, there's another bidder that has emerged and is in talks and will beat Strauss's offer and will be the new owner of the Timberwolves in, you know, by February 15th. I don't know about yet, but um, you know, I, I think Strauss feels like he's the reason he's been able to sort of hold at a number is because I think he doesn't think that there's, you know, strong other offers and um, you know, he probably has way more information on that than I do. I'll throw one name out there. Tell me if you've heard any steam on this. I saw I saw Michael Rubin. So he's got what some some ownership stake in in the Philadelphia 76ers. I think it was a Sports Illustrated story. It doesn't matter what the outlet is, but but I saw him quoted recently saying he has a desire to be a majority owner. I don't know if there's a path to him being majority owner of the Philadelphia 76ers anytime soon. Have you heard that name at all attached here to Minnesota? I have not. You know, there are a handful of people out there who want to be NBA majority owners, but frankly don't want to own the mini Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. 
if I can just. I get it. Plan. Yeah, no, you I know? get it. And again, I'm from Cleveland and I live in Omaha. I'm not uh, sitting in Southern California and saying, oh, who wants to be in the upper Midwest? <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, kind of putting it bluntly. Uh, you know, I think one of the people to really watch out for in the future is L uh, Lorraine Powell Jobs, um, who owns a piece of the Washington Wizards and mm -hmm. is worth billions of dollars. If she wants to... <laughs> If she wants to be an NBA owner, she had the money to do it, you know. So that, like, that's a that's a name to watch out there. Um, um, you know, there are some some other uh, you know guys, you know, who have who've approached teams and, and asked if they would be willing to sell. And the answer has been no. Uh, owners get get approached all the time. Um, and uh, actually, after I wrote this story, I had an investment banker that I know call me and say he's like, well you're right and you're wrong you're right that the wolves <laughs> sale potentially indicates a recessionary marker for the nba where team sales would go down in value he's like but you know i brought you know he didn't tell me who but he's like i brought an offer to an nba team within the last three months on a sale that would definitely have been an indication of franchise health so like you know this is always one of those things and it was rejected um, but it's like one of those things that's, there's, you know, there's 30 different markets. There are 30 different, you know, teams. So like if the Lakers went for sale this afternoon, uh, there'd be a lot of bidders at that three, $4 billion. Um, but you know, the relative health of the, of the, of the NBA is based on whether the, what's the value of the Grizzlies? What's the value of the, of the, of the, of the jazz? What's the value of the wolves? What's the value um, of the Spurs. These are things that are more reflective of, of where your league is because that's what the league is mostly made up of those types of teams. On the putrid product on the floor. Now it doesn't help that, that Carl Anthony Towns is out probably not back Brian. I mean, realistically speaking, they haven't given us any sort of definitive timetable, but, but realistically speaking, he's going to miss at least a few more games, if not a handful of games, Josh Okoge, their best defensive player, is out. He won't be back tonight in Portland, but but it sounds like he's at least close. But but Cat, it doesn't sound like is is super close. They're two and five. Four of the five losses they've they've been embarrassed. At least they were competitive on Tuesday in the loss in Denver. But but as you watch three, the Wolves for three here, quarters, they were. Yeah, they were. You're right. They were they were horrible in the in the fourth quarter. But like we talk about the 72 games, you know, not the 82. Like they're already just about what, like one eleventh or one tenth of the way through their season. So I mean, the clock, the clock is ticking. I, I mean, Glenn Taylor told me a few weeks ago, Brian, his expectation is the playoffs. That might not be the expectation of Rosas or others, but the owner expects them to be a top ten team in the West. So well, he's paying you a lot. See of, what they've he's done, paying well, a lot of money for this yeah. team. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's time. It's it's been too long. One playoff appearance since the 0304 season but as as you've watched the wolves so far what what stands out well the the carl injury i've i i read up about it like it's a very strange injury it's an unusual injury for a basketball player um and it all really depends on you know the nature of how the bones whatever were affected but when i first read about it it sounded like it could have been like, he may have actually gotten lucky that that wasn't a lot worse mm-hmm um, but without Carl, I mean, it's just, they're, they're not the same team. Um, and you know, here's the thing about D'Angelo Russell. I, 
and he has fans in Brooklyn who to this second swear there was a mistake to let him go. Um, for the most part in his career, this is a dangerous statement. I just want to be careful how I say it. I think it. I'm going to agree with you though, so go. He isn't a type of player that affects winning. Yes, I'm with you. Yes. Okay, so... Um, that next team did win though. He was... He yes, was the alpha on that did. team two years they ago. Did. They they started off eight and eighteen, and then they made that unbelievable run. Ended up as like the sixth seed. Yes, granted the the weaker Eastern Conference, but he did carry that team. There were some good pieces around him. Yes, but, he right. Did. He was the alpha on a playoff team. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why it's a statement that is controversial. Yes, but I, I agree with you. I, I really do. Uh, so, you know, so here's the thing on, on Anthony Edwards. I, I've I've made an uh, I've made an, an agreement with myself. I am not going to judge the rookies almost at all this year. They have mm -hmm. been given a preposterously difficult hand uh, <clears throat> to to handle this season. And off season cut short. No summer league. They were drafted and then dispatched their teams within 15 minutes got no pre effective preseason. So like, I'm not like, I'm not looking at those other guys and saying like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm evaluating LaMelo in a certain way or Wiseman or whatever. Um, so I, I'm, I'm watching him and I'm just saying, okay, I, I'm doing it. But you know, historically rookies, even number one overall picks don't affect winning and losing. Like right now I would even argue to you, Go look at Zion Williamson's statistics. He's putting up great numbers. Mm -hmm. He's in his second year. He's kind of like a rookie still. He's not really affecting the Pelicans winning and losing. Brandon Ingram is, but 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 Zion is not. Zion, you know, just in last night as an example, he was 12 of 17, had like eight rebounds, three steals, and was minus nine, and they lost to Oklahoma City. He is not affecting winning and losing. John Morant was an outlier. He did affect winning and losing, but even he, they were still a losing team. They still had a losing record. Um, so I don't expect Anthony Edwards, even if he was like starter, you know, leading all rookies in scoring, shooting at a high percentage and all this stuff, even if he was looking like great, I would never pre think a rookie is going to say we are going to win more games because of it. Go look at LeBron James and Kevin Durant. Even those guys, LeBron didn't make the playoffs till his third year. You know, Durant didn't make the playoffs till his third year. So, like, even the highest level guys don't do that. So, really, what you're looking at is who's going to be your difference making player. And I just don't think DeAndre Russell is a difference making player. I just don't think so. I, I mean, I mean, he's good. I mean, yes. he's a good shot creator, shot maker, but but he doesn't take it to the rim. He doesn't get to the free throw line. He's a he's a sieve on defense. Like there's there's enough to like there. But I'm with you, Brian. Like if there's any sort of expectation that D'Angelo Russell is supposed to be your second best player, I just don't know where you're going with that sort of logic. Right, and so then you're you're really left with you have you know, one difference making player. He's very good. Um, my thing with Carl is he's been such a disappointment to me defensively. Um, his rookie year, correct me if I'm wrong, but his rookie year, I felt he showed 
like some flashes, like he could be really effective defensively. And he has shown flashes. Yes. I think, I think Gorgie Jang had, had a decent influence on him. Yes. He hasn't been, he hasn't been a train wreck for, for six years defensively. I can tell you that, but over the last, you know, the sample size of the last, whatever, 80 something games that he's played, he's been a bad defensive player. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a problem. That's a problem. Um, you know, he, you know, I know that he's sensitive about his place in the league and, you know, and I just say, you know, he, he's not, he's not Joel Embiid offensively. He may put up sometimes better numbers than Joel because of the nature of his team, but he doesn't dominate like Joel Embiid has the ability to do. And then he's, not even a shade of what he could be defensively in my view. And so for the wolves to get where they need to go, they need Carl to just be better defensively because he is a true difference maker. He is a guy that when you have him on the floor makes the difference between winning and losing. And, um, um, you know, that's, that's where they are. So if they don't have him and then, especially if they don't have their best perimeter defender, um, you know, it's, 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 it, you know, your, your, uh, your margin for error night to night narrows. Now, look, I mean, they're going to have nights, you know, you know, Beasley is a streaky guy. Um, he's been their best player so far, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, uh, but again, are you going to rely on him night to night? No, 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 no. Yeah. So if you could, like, if you look at the teams in the Western Conference, the teams that you're trying to compete with, you look at, Denver, they got a couple of difference makers. You look at Utah, definitely one difference maker. And some nights Gobert can be that guy. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell is a difference making player. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Warriors have difference makers. Um, the Suns have a couple of difference makers now. The Rockets have a difference maker for sure. They may not have them in two weeks, but they have them now. The Mavericks have difference makers. The, um, the Grizzlies have difference makers. Um, you're operating in a in a sphere where you got to have you know two of those guys really to to go. And um, you know that's just a question. You know, is that package of players do they fit that? And um, you know, ideally, when you have the number one overall pick, you've drafted one. And you know, in a year, we may say that that is the case that they mm-hmm. found one. But I don't think mm-hmm. you can say that today. And I don't. And that's not again. That's just me backing off, letting these rookies go a little bit, as opposed to me judge. You know, making a judgment on where he's, he is as a player. I'll hit you with two more, and I think my Zoom time will end up running out after that. And I told you I would only steal you for for twenty ish minutes. What what is the league wide perception of of Ryan Saunders? As a head coach, I mean, it looks like, I mean, I look at what Indiana did, Oklahoma City. I mean, hiring a young guy seems to be at least a, a mini trend, you know, but but a lot of Wolves fans, Brian will tell you it's it's nepotism, right? Or or Gerson hired Ryan because he can control Ryan, that, that Gerson wants to have influence on lineups and and what have you. But what what is the league-wide perception of, of Ryan Saunders as, as this team's head coach as, oh, by the way, their former head coach, granted small sample size, but but Tom Thibodeau is is winning in New York with with what looks like a a, a lesser roster than what the Wolves have here. Yeah, look, whatever you want to say about Tom Thibodeau, and I'll never forget being at Jimmy Butler's first game after I was at the game when he uh, demanded a trade, and uh, Jimmy got booed and Tibbs got booed louder. I'll never forget that uh, home opener. Um, 
whatever you want to say about Tibbs, they've been in the playoffs one time in 16 years and he was a coach. Okay. Uh, when it comes to Ryan, his reputation is as maybe the most, uh, maybe the best players coach in the league. Mm-hmm. That the, that the players like Ryan more than almost any team likes their coach in the league. And that's his reputation. Now we can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, um, sometimes the guys, you know, there's a, there's a, um, uh, there's an old adage in the NBA that, you know, your players can love your, you know, love you all the way to getting you fired. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and he's close to them in age. He's done tremendous bonding with them. I've spent time, you know, last year, you may remember this. I came to, to Minneapolis for three days, spent time with Ryan, spent time with the wolves. And was I remember do, seems like forever this. ago, but I remember I it. I was going to do this big story on, on Ryan. And the, the story was going to be how he was the first millennial head coach. And he let me watch uh, practice and where they, where they, he let the players, you know, do their, um, decide on the music and he would let them play, you know, he had one, the practice I went to, they had a DJ in practice. And when Ryan needed to do an instruction, he would go to his uh, watch and turn the music down. Um, you know, Carl raved about him um, uh, at the time, you know, Wiggins, he backed with the way Wiggins talked about him. Like I had never heard Wiggins. The best interview I ever did with Andrew Wiggins was about Ryan Saunders. Mm-hmm. And the story, was, the story mm-hmm. was written and ready to go. We had to hold it because they went on a 12 game losing streak or whatever. They had multiple double-digit losing streaks last year. Right. Ryan, like, right. I don't know how many coaches survived that, and Ryan's my guy, and I want Ryan to have a chance to, to coach this roster for some sort of sustained period. Like, there are Wolves fans calling for Ryan's head right now. I think that is that is ludicrous. But I'll tell you what, Brian, they had two double-digit losing streaks last year. I don't know many coaches that would survive that. Right. So they had they had the one in, this, in like, this, right about this time of year. And so we had to, we had to, we had to sideline the story and I loved writing the story. The story was written, ready to go. My boss loved it. In fact, it was going to run and my boss liked it so much. It was going to run over Thanksgiving weekend. And my boss liked it so much and said, Hey, let's not run this over Thanksgiving weekend. Let's run this in December when more people will see it. And um, then they went on the losing streak and then they won some games like, okay, now maybe we can, because it's hard to put out a story about the about the innovative approach of this coach when you're on a 12 game losing streak. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And then they went on another losing streak, and then the story was th- two months old, and we had to. And I, it was sad because I, Ryan gave me great asset, asset access. I had great conversations with Gerson, great conversations with Robbie Sitka. I actually think that the Wolves are really modernizing their franchise. I think. I agree. Yeah. Headed. I, I have nothing but positives to say mm-hmm. about. I have nothing but positive to say about Gerson. I have nothing but positive to say about Ryan, but you know, the proof is in the pudding and they really, they really need to play better defense. I mean, if we could just start right there, that would be the building block of where they need to go. Well, and, and this will lead into to my last question for you. I mean, the roster is, is still incomplete. They, they could play better defense if, if they were able to match up against opposing power forwards, like they, they desperately need a legit power forward. I mean, are you sensing any any trade buzz, whether whether it's with the Wolves or you mentioned uh, you dropped that that little hint that that who knows what will take place in Houston even in the next two weeks? I guess just league wide trade buzz, whether it's Minnesota, you know James Harden. What what are you hearing on the trade? I buzz? think uh, a Harden trade would be amazing for the for the Wolves because I think it would completely change and energize them. But I think it would cost you the rookie. 
and I don't see I, I don't see Harden landing here, Brian. I would be shocked. Right. I mean, I'm just also, saying, it, I'm just saying it doesn't overall. fix it doesn't yeah. fix what you need. Yeah, I'm just saying overall. Are you hearing but, any specific Wolves trade? No. no in, in fact, separately, I guess the James Harden inquiry I'm making is is separate from from the Wolves. In fact, I'm hearing, and again, there's always a lag. We always are late getting information, a little bit late because we're not doing it in real time. There's almost, there's very little trade discussion right now in the league at all. There's there's it's very it's very quiet. So I mean, it's still um, early, right? I mean, a lot of teams like to see what 15 or 20 games. Yeah, yeah, and you know the, the the thing about the Wolves that will be big is the decision not to draft Wiseman, um, and whether or not Wiseman could have done something with Carl if they could have played together because. This was such a tough situation for Gerson to handle because, you know, his choices were a point guard, a center, and a wing. And he had a point guard and a center who on the roster that he didn't want to unseat. And when you watch Wiseman play, he's a very exciting prospect. He's very exciting. And, you know, not only that, but the team was for sale, you know, um, such a difficult situation for Gerson to be in and you know look Edwards may may end up being the pick like I I'm nowhere near making any kind of prediction but but Wiseman is a really really interesting he was my guy pre-draft for what it's worth now I get it they tried to get to Miami to get some FaceTime with James pre-draft that never took place I'm not quite sure they had the full medical book on him just stylistically I, I don't know if they wanted to play with with two bigs, but last time I, I checked, I mean, Anthony Davis last year played with, with a big oftentimes, right? I mean, I guess if you want to go back many years, the Spurs did it. I mean, it, it can work. I know. And you have the, I know, I know ultimately at the end of the day, Gerson can't worry about, you know, what happened with, you know, the, the double point guard draft. Like, you know, he can't let that affect him, but at the same time it exists, you know, it exists. It happened there. Yep. So um, I don't know. Like I, uh, you know, and look, I, I know Wiseman came out and said, I don't have a problem with going to Minnesota. I'll play in Minnesota. I don't care. But that, well, of course but, he was going to say that though, but right? But his action, his and his, and his agent's actions did not indicate that. So correct. Yeah. Gerson was holding a very difficult hand, a very difficult hand. I, um, he, he could end up working out. He could end up working out just fine. But, I agree. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah. I just, I think, and I think Anthony Edwards has a very bright future, but if you're just asking me, like who has the highest ceiling in this draft class? I would have told you two months ago it's James Wiseman. I, I, and I, I, everything I've seen so far suggests that that the ceiling is high. I mean, again, small, very small sample size, but but watching enough of the Warriors, I love what James Wiseman can do. Yeah, uh, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Brian, thank you as always. Happy New Year, and I'll certainly be in touch. Okay. Okay. Take care. Okay. Take care. See ya. Bye bye. ESPN's Brian Windhorst. My full stance on Ryan Saunders is this. He's coached Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell together three games. Not even three, right? Toronto, last regular season, then the Detroit opener, then almost all of the Utah game, but Carl went down in the fourth quarter of the Utah game. Let's give, or at least I will give Ryan the full season. Hopefully Towns is back at some point. This month, I do think it was always a multi-week injury. I don't think he's on the cusp of returning, but he should be back at some point in the coming weeks. Let's give Ryan a chance to coach Cat and Russell together. This roster, Ricky Rubio coming in, 
drafting Anthony Edwards, bringing in Ed Davis, who's who's getting minutes, although I'm not quite sure Ed has has much to contribute. Jared Vanderbilt didn't get run really for the most part last year. He now has a chance to crack the rotation. Let's give Ryan a chance to coach these guys. And if we want to formulate strong opinions on Ryan after this 72-game regular season, if there's enough of a sample size there, fine, fair. But at this point, like I've seen it in my in my Twitter feed, far too often it's time to to get rid of Ryan. They need to get rid of Ryan. I'm just I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm not there. Like I need to see Ryan coach these guys for a while before before coming to any sort of strong stance. All right, let me now transition. I mentioned I was over at Mini Haha Academy on Monday. I briefly caught up with the number one high school player in the country. He is a future NBA player. In fact, I think he's the favorite right now to be the number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft. It is Mini Haha Academy senior Chet Holmgren. Chet, just take me through your emotions. How excited are you? It's been a long wait. How excited are you to get back out there with your teammates? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely always excited to, you know, be able to play basketball, especially uh, when it's been taken away from you for, you know, the last month and however long it's been since uh, we got back to town. Haven't really done any five-on-five since then. Uh, just individual workouts, uh, you know. It's always fun to play basketball, but it's a lot more fun to be out there playing five and five, uh, especially with your teammates. On the individual workouts, have you done individual workouts with a mask on? What sort of challenges will will playing basketball with a mask present? Uh, yeah, um, I haven't done individual workouts too much with a mask on. Uh, only only when you know social distancing isn't isn't possible. Uh, you know, it'll definitely be new. Uh, never done it in my life really, uh, so it'll be a new challenge. But uh, me and the team. Uh, and our coaches are looking forward to uh, tackling it. What's it been like the last handful of months? I mean, you said you weren't able to play five and five like the last month, but you did have the benefit of getting some really good run in in the fall with Sizzle. I mean, everybody remembers the national TV game, you against Bates. Just take me back to that night, how special that night was, and and just getting the run you got with Sizzle in the fall, what that was like. Yeah, it's it's always special to be out there with your teammates, uh, you know, um, it was definitely a great experience to be able to play. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody was able to play, so uh, you know we definitely didn't take the experience for granted. Uh, you know we went out there and gave it our all, and uh, fortunately, we were able to come with, come out with some some good wins this fall. I mean, do you feel like you cemented your name more so than than ever before on the national on the national level? Uh, honestly, I wasn't too worried about you know uh, you know worried about that kind of stuff. You know, I was just worried about focusing on myself, uh, improving my game. Uh, helping lift my teammates up and uh, winning basketball games. And uh, I feel I did that pretty well, uh, but there's still a long way to go. How about a recruiting update? Uh, figuring it out soon, soon, soon. I promise soon. So soon, like, you're going to make a decision here pretty quick, you uh, think? Before the season's over. Not, I'm not going to, you know, make anything uh, cemented, uh, you know, because everything going on, it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, cement things into place because, uh, you know, something could happen and it'll change and then people will be mad at me for, you know, this and that. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it uh, and you guys will know as soon as I know. And do you want to play in college or if the G League came calling, which is still months away, would you consider just making the jump to the pros? Uh, right now I'm focused on uh, finding the right college that's right for me. And the final seven, those schools are still in constant contact with you? Uh, yeah, for the most part. You look stronger. I mean, have you put on noticeable muscle? Uh, I've been definitely been working on it. Um, glad people are noticing. Uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely been fun. What are you up to now, weight-wise? Uh, a bit over 190. Uh, I don't like step on a scale every day. Uh, I'm not too worried about all that. Just focused on getting stronger, getting better every day. And are you still growing, or are you done growing? 
let me let me ask my my bones real quick. No, I'm just kidding. I, I have no way of knowing. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Last time you measured yourself, what did you measure in at? Uh, six nine. No shoes. Chet is a funny guy. He's a legit with shoes. Just about seven feet tall. One of the most unique basketball players I can remember because he has legit guard skills, legit NBA three-point range, yet he can dominate inside as well. A special, special player. Gonzaga, probably the betting favorite. The G League, I mean, the G League could make him an offer, but that's still months away. I think the G League wants to see how how this bubble works with, with this Ignite team, with these high schoolers that are playing. A few high-profile players skipped college signed with the G League. So I think there's there's still some things to unearth on the G League front. So it would be speculating right now whether the G League will even make Chet an offer. But if the G League continues to to go after high school players, Chet Holmgren is the number one player in the 2021 class. So it would make logical sense for the G League to offer him six figures. But if he does end up at a college, certainly Gonzaga, I get it, is is probably the betting favorite. But the Gophers are still trying. In fact, one of the Gophers' assistant coaches talked to Chet the other day, like in the last few days for 40 minutes, talked to Chet's dad for an hour. So the Gophers are still trying on Chet Holmgren. I also caught up with Chet's teammate, somebody the Gophers want, Prince Alegbe. He is one of the best juniors in the state, one of the best players in what's a very deep Minnesota 2022 basketball class. Here's my conversation with Minnehaha Academy wing, Prince Alegbe. Prince, just take me through your emotions. How excited are you to get back out here with your teammates? Um... Is it possible to go over 10 in a scale? Uh, I mean, that's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, you know, these are guys I've been with for a couple of years now, and I'm just happy, you know, to be able to play basketball, be able to be back at school at Minnehaha Academy and have a fun season, so. And because of that happiness, I mean, something like wearing masks, I mean, that's just not a big deal, that, that being out there with your teammates, being able to play again, have a season, that that's what matters most, that, that wearing masks while playing, so be it? Uh, yeah. Uh, when I first heard the idea, I think it was early last week, and I was you know, surprised by seeing like other states like Wisconsin were doing it, and I tried it out myself when I put it in my workout regimen. It really didn't phase me. You know, It was like another skill, basically, so I was really fine with that. And I mean, okay, so when you've done your training, I mean, you've run up and down the floor for multiple minutes and, and the mask just, it's not that big of a deal? Yeah, ran up and down the floor, got tons of shots up, you know, was with teammates. Also, they were wearing masks too. So it was just real fitting, you know. Lance said it's a different team. He's right. I mean, there are so many guys go up and down the list, right? I mean, obviously Jalen and Caden and Terry, and it's a different team. But the way that last year ended, you guys not being able to finish off that, that, what was hopefully going to be a, a championship run. Does that motivate you and the other guys that were here in March? Oh, it definitely does. I feel like we have a lot of unfinished business. I feel like we have a lot of doubters too. You know, surprising to say, but, you know, with us being mini hot, there's some people that don't think we're still that top team. So we're just up to play with it, act as if we don't have anything, and, yeah, just go for it. How grateful are you that you got some action in with Sizzle? in the fall, including the, the great nationally televised game? Um, blessed, really, you know. Not many people could be able to do that during the times we're under. And, you know, 
shout out to my teammates, you know, Chet Holmgren, Donovan Smith, and everybody else that partaked in that game and other games too. You know, they were able to adjust and it's showcased for not only us as a school, but also the state of Minnesota, so. Do you think, I mean, Lance said he's going to glean some things from what you guys ran with Sizzle that could carry over to, to your team now. Do you think there could be some carryover? Uh, I definitely do. It's the same squad. You know, we all know how to play with each other. But, of course, we can always get better. No one ever said there's not room for improvement. So that's what I really see. Where are things at on the recruiting uh, side of things? Oh, uh, it's going real well. You know, it's died down, of course, because of coaches having their season or whatnot, but it's actually really well. I mean, can coaches call you right now? Can they text you? What's what's allowed right now? Oh, they can call me. Like, right now during this, they could call me if they wanted to. And, of course, you know, you get a lot of notifications. Phone's always buzzing every day. A lot of Zoom calls, I have to say that. But, you know, it's what we got to go through right now. So. Who are some of the schools that are that are most in contact with you? Uh, definitely be Ohio State, Villanova, Cal Berkeley, Notre Dame, just to name a few. And even the hometown Gophers, I mean, they have a new assistant coach, Jeff, who, who has ties here. Has he been trying to form a bond with you? Yeah, Coach Mel, he's doing a real good job. Shout out to them on their recent victories. You know, they're doing putting on for the state also. And Coach Mel, he's really been uh, doing his job well as being the new assistant and recruiting him home recruit. So. Have you had a chance to Zoom with Coach Patino anytime recently? Yeah, I've done it twice now, and those were both good times. So. When was the last one that you did with him? It was around um, October, early November. So they're trying. I mean, they're like every school. I mean, just is it fun to be wanted? When, when do you think you'll make a decision? Uh, I'd definitely say either early senior year or end of senior year. You know, I just want to showcase to coaches what they would be getting from me as a player over my junior year, over my last AAU summer coming up, and just know they're getting someone that's versatile and brings every to, everything to the team. So, What's it like playing with, with Chet? You gave him that shout-out, but you played with the number one player in the country last year, and now you're playing with the number one player in the country yet again. Oh, he makes the game real easy. He's, uh, you know, me, I'm, I feel like I'm a top defender in the nation really and when you have me guarding you but then when you get past me you know I always have Chet in my background and same goes for my teammates and he does so much also on the offensive side he's a big man that knows how to bring it up the court shoot pass everything so it's, it helps a lot. I'll leave you with this speaking of Jalen what's it like watching Jalen for number one Gonzaga the way he's been playing I mean there's talk of him being the number one pick in the NBA draft. Uh, he definitely set a path for all of us on how to, you know, play on the big spotlight, you know, showcase every game when you can. And I'm still learning from him. And I'm happy that I'm, you know, I'm happy to say that he's someone I've known for years now and taught me a lot. And I'm just glad he's in the position he's in right now. So I mean, do you text with him pretty regularly still? Do you guys talk pretty regularly? Yeah, all the time. You know, I mean, that's my older brother, so I have to, you know. I'll tell you what, it'll be one heck of a story because it's trending toward Jalen Suggs, certainly being a top five pick in this year's NBA draft. Then Chet Holmgren with a very good chance, presuming health, but having a very good chance to be, if not number one, a top five pick in the 2022 NBA draft. So two guys, I mean, Chet used to sleep over at Jalen's house all the time. I mean, to have two guys like that as close as they are, to go that high in back-to-back NBA drafts, just one hell of a story. And extra cool that it's right here 
from the Twin Cities. All right, we are done here on Scoop Podcast episode 328. I did catch up with Hugh McCutcheon, Gophers volleyball coach, the other day. That interview is available on the KSTP.com sports page, KSTP.com backslash sports. The wife just texted. She said dinner is ready, so it's time for me to hit the road. So I was going to bring you the the McCutcheon interview. Now I actually caught up with Jalen Suggs' dad, too. Larry Suggs. I'll post that on the KSTP.com website soon, too. So apologies for not bringing you those conversations on this particular podcast, but we're at the we're at the 80-minute mark, so it's time to say goodbye. Always appreciate you listening. Stay safe. Stay sane.